When the bus started to burn, we all knew that if we got off the bus, we'd probably be killed. I made a decision whether I'm going to be beaten to death or whether I'm going to die on that burning bus. On May 14, 1961, a Greyhound bus carrying seven Freedom Riders drove into Anniston, Alabama and was immediately swarmed by angry white supremacists. The Freedom Ride movement to integrate travel stations nearly ended there. Instead, waves of new riders poured into the South for months, risking everything to force the country to face the hateful actions that upheld unlawful racist Jim Crow practices. I'm Natalie Boyd, a podcast producer with USA Today. Hank Thomas was only 19 when he became one of the original 13 Freedom Riders that traveled from Washington, D.C. to New Orleans. Hank sat down with us and got a little emotional as he relived the terrifying events of that day. This is the Seven Days of 1961 podcast. Hear history from the people who made it. Philosophically, I'm not a nonviolent person. And one of the things that protected me while I was on the picket line or even sitting in, I'd always have the meanest look on my face. And I think most of the white guys were obviously smaller than myself. And if they had any particular thought about beating up on somebody, it wasn't going to be me because I did not look like I was going to be an easy target. Supreme Court rulings in 1946 and 1960 outlawed segregated bus seating and facilities, but Jim Crow practices still relegated black people to substandard accommodations. The Freedom Riders traveled on two different bus lines, Greyhound and Trailways, to test and document compliance of desegregation throughout the South. Luckily, as I said, I was never physically attacked until the Aniston situation. And uh, then I was, you know, attacked by several people. And of course, you had the police there, and you had as much to fear from the police, if not more so, than you did the guys in the mob, because obviously the police had the guns. Dr. King and the rest of them knew that. That was a dangerous place. And we were warned and actually asked not to go into Amsterdam because you're going to get some people killed. So, having escaped, if you will, from Winsboro, South Carolina, where the police had arrested me escaped in time so I knew firsthand of what the dangers were uh, so I didn't say anything but I was hoping 
Lord, let's not do this again. The rest of them didn't quite understand. But I had just escaped uh, from, from death, so I knew better. At that stop in Winsboro, Hank was arrested for entering a whites-only area of the bus terminal. An officer late at night pulled him from his jail cell and dropped him off near the bus station where a white mob was still gathered from earlier in the day. Once out of the cop's car, Hank bolted and happened to be picked up by a black driver nearby. The experience rattled Hank, but he still traveled to rejoin the group in Atlanta. And when we got to Anderson and there's this mob there at the bus station. At least 50 white men Many from Alabama Ku Klux Klan Claverns surrounded the bus. And they, you know, the bus driver was afraid and he had to get off the bus and let them know that, listen, I'm just a bus driver, okay? It was my job to drive the bus. And I understand why he did that because he didn't want to be killed either. Hank recalls sitting next to Ed Blankenheim, a 27-year-old college student and veteran. And uh, so Ed says, okay, we need to get in and go into the station to make our report. And I said, Ed, let's just tell them this station is, is segregated. No, we got to get off and be able to, to document. I said, you got to be crazy. And before he could say anything else, they started physically attacking the bus. The windows were being broken, and the bus driver, to our credit and his credit maybe, had locked the door when he got off the bus. So those on the outside could not get in, and that saved us. And probably the bus was there maybe a half an hour or so. When the bus finally began to leave the bus station, we did not know that the tires had been slashed. And when you look at the tires of a bus today, how thick they are, you can only imagine what it took to slash those tires. Well, when the bus started to move out, I breathed a slight sigh of relief. At least it's leaving here now. But the bus could only go maybe 10, 15 miles per hour. Reason being there were at least two, maybe three pickups in front of the bus to keep it from moving any faster and a line of cars behind the bus. And it was just a matter of time before the bus would stop, and there they'd have their chance again. I don't know whether it was a coincidence that when the bus finally stopped and was disabled, it was right in front of a country store. A crowd of people had gathered there. Many of them had just come from church. Good Christian people 
who brought their children with them to watch the Freedom Riders get killed. The irate horde again attacked the Greyhound bus with bats and tire irons. A white man threw a firebomb into a broken window, and the vicious mob pressed against the door, trapping the passengers inside to burn to death. When the bus started to burn, we all were knew that if we got off the bus, we'd probably be killed. I made a decision. I'm only 19 years old. Whether I'm going to be beaten to death or whether I'm going to die on that burning bus. I know that with all of the smoke that is accumulating on the bus, it would be easier for me to die as a result of inhaling the smoke. So that's how I was going to die. By the time I took a deep breath of that smoke, my involuntary muscle took over. I had to get off of that bus. Probably within a few seconds, the flames had gotten to the fuel tank of the bus and it blew out the back of the bus. As a result of that, the people outside started running. And when they started to run, they released the hole they had on the door of the bus. That was the way we got off. When we got off the bus, the bus is fully inflamed. We could feel it once we got off the bus. Everyone else out there in the mob got as far away from the flames as possible. And when they saw that we were trying to do the same thing, they made sure, they tried to make sure we did not get that far away. Hank was the first to exit the burning bus. He was approached by a white man and felt relieved because he thought the man was concerned for his well-being. Are you all right, boy? To hear a voice concerning my safety, I just nodded my head, and in the next second, I was on the ground. The man beat Hank with a bat. And then I was, you know, attacked by several people. Three guys were approaching me because they saw that the police officer wasn't going to do anything. I did something that would truly get you killed. I ran to the police officer, grabbed him around the waist, and used him as a shield. And in that second, he pulled his gun and fired into the air. But between the time he pulled his gun and fired into the air, I thought he was going to shoot me. And you could see me putting my hands in front of my face. He fired into the air and he said, all right, y'all have had your fun. Uh, That's enough. 
And so that was as close as I came to, I thought, to, to getting killed. It wasn't the only bloodshed that day. The other group of Freedom Riders on the Trailways bus also met brutal violence in Alabama. Klan members boarded the bus after it first stopped in Anniston and beat three members nearly unconscious. Still nursing injuries, the bus continued on to Birmingham, where another mob awaited them. They were beaten again before escaping into the city. Outside of a country store on the outskirts of Anniston, the Freedom Riders with the Greyhound bus received a brave act of kindness. Hank spoke about this moment a few years earlier. Here's that recording. And all of us was in need of water. A little girl, 12 years old, little Janie, was running in and out of her father's store bringing us water. And those adults looked at her with scorn. And I'm told later on that little Janie had trouble staying in that town. The Reverend Fred Shuttlesworth, a prominent Birmingham minister and civil rights leader, dispatched a convoy to evacuate the Greyhound Riders from an Aniston hospital, which was under threat from another growing mob. Alabama Governor John Patterson refused to guarantee state protection for the group. Because of threats and a bus driver boycott, the Freedom Riders flew to New Orleans rather than continue on the ground. The original writer's perseverance inspired months of activism. Student leaders, including civil rights icon John Lewis, organized teams of people to pour into Alabama and Mississippi within 72 hours of the attacks. By early fall, more than 400 people had faced violence and arrest in the fight for freedom there. Under pressure from the Kennedy administration, the Interstate Commerce Commission banned segregated facilities in its jurisdiction, effective November 1st. The removal of whites-only signs across the South marked a significant widespread victory for the movement. Sixty years later, Hank still has no regrets about that frightful Mother's Day in Anniston, Alabama but he does get misty-eyed when he remembers his deceased fellow riders. The others on the bus with me, Ed Blankenheim, Albert Bigelow, who was a retired naval captain, Genevieve Hughes, and all of the names that I've called have since passed on. I can't remember their names, I see their faces. I am so appreciative of having been a part of the changes that have occurred in this country. But at the same time, I appreciate all of the people who have had a part to play in the changing of this country. This civil rights movement was an integrated movement while whites who dared to help us suffered tremendously. Not enough is said about them. 
The 7 Days of 1961 podcast is produced and edited by me, Natalie Boyd. Melissa Brown reported on this episode, and Jasper Colt produced the interview. You can see images of Hank and of the burning bus, and you can read Melissa's story to learn more about the Freedom Riders' historic journey at 7days1961.usatoday.com. Thank you for listening. Tell your friends about the podcast. We want more people to hear these personal stories about acts of resistance that ended segregation. Please write us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps more people find the show. And you can tweet us at USA Today. On the next episode, you'll hear from a woman who inspired many young activists like herself. After she was expelled for trying to integrate a bus station, more than 100 black high school students walked out in protest. That show of support was a rallying cry for more young people to fight for integration and voting rights. That's next time. See you then.